I did feel as though the wine world, um, you know, needed addressing. There were uh, places that I hadn't really written very much about that were now coming online in a very strong way. Welcome to the Aboisi Wine Buzz podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Clinton Lee. Today, it's an, it gives me great pleasure to see a good friend again. And um, this is the second time that we have had this particular individual on the show. She is a remarkable lady, and I think that her next masterpiece, which I'm going to introduce to you, will essentially say it all. Welcome, Karen McNeil, to our show. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Pleasure to be here. So as I was saying, there is a masterpiece, and that masterpiece is this particular book. And um, that has now been launched, and it's on the marketplace. And congratulations on the release of this third edition of the Wine Bible. Now, Karen, why did you decide to actually write a third edition. I mean, it's a monumental undertaking in all aspects, research, patience, and time. Now, the word decade sort of swirls around my head. Share with us. Yes. Oh, I don't know. There were times in writing the third edition that I thought, I must be crazy. I really must be crazy. Um, because it, it, it is an enormous undertaking. Um, there are very few global wine books any longer, and that's because the world of wine is so much bigger. Um, the first wine Bible, which came out 20 years ago, took me 10 years to write. This one only took five years, so I'm getting really fast. Okay. And... Um... What made you want to write it? Did you see such a huge change? I mean, the the second edition, the first took you 10. The second edition, I, I'm assuming, took you less time and the third an even shorter time. Yes. I mean, uh, there are a couple of reasons. One is I did feel as though the wine world um you know, needed addressing. There were uh, places that I hadn't really written very much about that were now coming online in a very strong way. A perfect example of that would be Great Britain. Great Britain, I never in my wildest dreams imagined 20 years ago that England would be a wine region. But of course, uh, sadly, in, in a sense, by virtue of climate change, um, England is now an important wine region, and it shares the same band of limestone soils with, with Champagne in France, uh, and the sparkling wines are absolutely sensational. So there was England, there are the, the, um, the uh, mid part of Europe, uh, Croatia and Slovenia are bigger than they've ever been before, more important. China, of course, has grown substantially. Japan has grown uh, fairly substantially. So um, there were a lot of new things to, to write about, but also, um, and 
and people don't maybe realize this, but you know, a writer themselves is not static. You get better as a writer. You you know more. You you're able to convey complicated ideas uh, more more thoroughly and more gracefully. And so I I felt uh, I was ready to tackle the wine Bible one more time. Well, I think if anyone is able to um, not only make it uh, gracefully, uh, it's you make it exceptionally easy to read, which I think is is most important for any reader. And you have captured that um, methodology so, so very well. Um, and I congratulate you for that. Now, you know, I really want to get into the heart and soul of you writing this book, because I want the audience out there to know that this truly it it is a a work and and uh, your efforts are of the heart of your passion karen what major challenges did you face like from typing the very first letter of this exquisite book what were your highs what were your lows you you you, you referred to it you alluded to it earlier on you know there were times you thought what madness is this take us yes. through some of those moments well, I suppose the first one is, and everyone who listens to you, uh, Dr. Lee, knows this, and that's that wine is very hard to describe. It's really hard to describe. It is much harder to describe than food, for example, which is, um, you know, it's, it's close uh, sister in a sense. Um, so wine is... Uh, it evades us, you know, think of all the times that you've tasted a wonderful wine and, and all you can say is sort of, you know, the, um, is it great or is it not great, you know, so there's that. Um, there's also, though, the research. Um, when I wrote the first Wine Bible, it was really essentially before the internet. And if you think about how how long, how hard it, it is to get information. I mean, I had gone to every major wine region in the world by that time. But still, um, if you, uh, the example I always give is, let's just say you, you had no internet and you wanted to find out how many wine producers there are in Hungary, a very simple fact. It's pretty hard to figure oh. that out um, before the internet. Internet. So there was a reason why when the Wine Bible came out, it had actually very little competition because maybe no one is willing to go to uh, the lengths that I'm willing to go to, to, to really research well and to get the facts straight. Um, even today, there is an internet, of course, but the internet is full of information that is not actually the case. Um, and so getting the facts straight is, uh, is a challenge in and of itself. Mm -hmm. And um, I suppose then, uh, well, though I will, I'll start with those two. Yeah, I mean, what about from the emotional side? I mean, you know, you've achieved so much. You've had accolades, you know, bestowed upon you. You, 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 you are a, a pillar of the wine society. And yet here you are, you know, your your sort of shoulder down, and you're you're grinding away, and you 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 know those lows. I mean, every writer mm -hmm. has it. I mean, I have it too, you know. And uh, 
you know, I'm in the midst of of of, of my book, and uh, I sometimes, my goodness, what what you know, what am I doing here? Am I writing the way that it should be written? And we put ourselves in the position of the reader. You know, I I really would like to um, explore that a little bit more for you, so the reader can truly appreciate what you went through to write this book. Yeah, well, you, the first thing is you cannot think about money, because if you thought about money, you would realize you're making six cents an hour, and you know everybody would. In fact, most people stop because they think ah, this is going to be essentially unpaid labor. Um, so there's there's that for sure. Um, it's also you you uh, can't think about your competition. Um, so you're not going to think about money and you're not going to think about your competition because uh, most people with those two things would stop doing what they're doing. They would say to themselves, you know what, there's somebody else out there. They've already done it. They've already done it better. Uh, I have, you know, nothing really substantial to add. So you you can't think, cannot think about your competition. True. And then every time you you start to think, oh, this is just too big, too much, I can't do it, a little voice has to come on in your head that says, oh, yes, you can sit back down and start writing. Um, so I guess as a professional writer now for many decades, I don't let myself become discouraged. I, I know... Uh, I know that um, I know that I can do it. I know that I can outwork almost any other journalist in the country. Um, and other things that are barriers, I mean, for me early on, one of the barriers were was being a woman. It was hard to to infiltrate, um, if that's the right word, uh, wine, which was a very um, classist, uh, an upper class yeah. beverage, uh, mostly controlled by um, by men. Um, that's a, that's much better now. Um, but it's still I was at a famous tasting the other day. And um, I looked around the room and I could see that all of the people pouring wine were pouring women smaller pours than they were pouring men. Oh, happens all the time and <laughs> that I was being kind of elbowed out you know uh, away from tables by guys who just stepped in front of me truly and I thought oh, outrageous very outrageous it's I, I think sometimes men don't even uh realize um the the subtle um effects they can have in in of tastings of um so anyway, there's that. But again, you you simply cannot let that stop you. You simply have to keep going. And when you read through the book, which I have, you know, I could literally feel you standing by my shoulder and the little tap. Oh, there's this I'd like to share with you. And it is so warm. It's so inviting. And for the readers out there, I'd like to share that you you have that sense that Karen is sitting right next to you when you read it now mm -hmm. and and that is uh, and i've read many many books in my time so it is quite remarkable now we've spoken about the beginning now authors will attest that upon the completion of their book it evokes 
emotions. It incites different feelings, relief, accomplishment, hmm, doubt perhaps, and expectations. What did you experience after typing that last word for your latest edition? Yeah, you know, when you type the last word, it's in a way not really the last word because <laughs> you're about to you're about to have five editors uh, descend on you, um, making you justify every fact. And as you know, the Wine Bible has thousands yes. of facts, um, and uh, and and questioning too your how you present things. Do you? They will often write out to the side, do you really want to say this? Um, and um, then there are also um, word choice editors who will say, I, you know, we don't think you should use, you should describe wines as masculine or feminine anymore. That's okay. really not contemporary. And so you have to argue with them a little bit. Um, but I guess after all of that, which takes about a, a year after you think you've finished writing and you're going back uh, line by line for 900 pages, um, you, what I felt was I missed the Wine Bible. I loved working on it every day. Mm -hmm. I, it was almost like a person for me, yeah. you know, it was there in the room. Like your and, baby. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I felt like I was wandering around, wondering what to do with myself. Now, you know, this third edition, it's a lengthy piece of work. You know, you've said 900 pages and it's 900 pages. For those that are uninitiated to your great pieces of work, how different, you know, in your words, is this third edition to the second yeah, I think it's substantially different. Uh, it's all in color, uh, which is which is nice. All the research is updated. Mm -hmm. um, there are all these new places that are in it. But you know, there there are two ways to do a new edition. You could either just keep the same old book and then just put in new facts, right? So right. you put in uh, that now there are. Uh, 16,000 growers in Champagne instead of 12,000 growers in Champagne. Mm -hmm. Or kind of like building a house, you could take the whole thing apart, take it right down to the studs and rebuild the whole thing and add new rooms and change the color of the walls. And um, so I like to do the second one. I really sort of re redid the whole book. Um, and you know, another very important um, two factors were I added a, a wonderful chapter, I think, on wine in the ancient world. And your audience may be uh, <laughs> pleased to know that the first actual evidence of wine, not green, but a beverage, a fermented beverage intentionally made from wine is from China 9,000 years ago. And it predates the Near East. It predates Georgia and Armenia mm. by about 2,000 years. So, um, you know, of course, we may not have discovered everything yet, but it is very interesting that uh, that Asia has made this big circle. It was it was first 
And now it's one of the most exciting uh, places in wine in addition. So there's that, uh, but there's also, um, you know, climate change was not very much a factor in 2015. In 2022, climate change is hugely important for every wine region in the world. Absolutely, absolutely. And, um, you know, you, you, you've captured all the, the latest, the contemporary facts, the, the trends that, that are happening. You know, you mentioned uh, the UK, Great Britain, and, um, you know, I think what is important is when you wrote this third edition, Karen, who did you want this book to be aimed for? Was there a specific target market? One of the uh, benefits of being a teacher, and I've, I've taught thousands of wine students, is that in a classroom, at least in the kind of classroom I had at the Culinary Institute of America, there would be utter beginners, people who really knew almost nothing about wine other than it was made from grapes, and in the same classroom, there could be a, a, a connoisseur, a collector, um, because my wine classes were for everyone. They were not just for CIA students. So I taught myself how to teach well, when how to keep people who are really knowledgeable, very engaged, at the same time, I was not flying so far over the heads of beginners that they lost uh, lost interest or lost their attention. So the Wine Bible is exactly like that. If you're a beginner, you're like, wow, this is so interesting. You can pick it up anywhere, read any page, and there's something fascinating there. If you are a, if you're really knowledgeable about wine and the Wine Bible is the best-selling book among sommeliers, you're, you're now reading at a whole other level and saying, wow, I, I never understood that concept right. very well. And now I understand how it works. That's right. So it's for one of the reasons it has sold nearly a million copies worldwide is, I think, because it appeals to all knowledge levels. Yeah, not only all knowledge levels and, you know, as you've said, the different sectors, the the wine enthusiast, the, the, the new uh, uh, entrant into their sort of wine career. I, I, I really love this book because the ease of which, you know, you can settle into it. It's one of those books that you can read by the sort of fireside or sitting comfortably in your lounge. But also it, it has that um, uh, flexibility where you see yourself as you are studying you know, perhaps for one of the Abwazi courses and, you you know, this is a supplemental book. It's just absolutely perfect, you know. And um, I know as a writer, moving on from there, out of all the chapters that you, you wrote, which one holds a special place for you? I know you added the new one, Ancient Wines. But yes. Is that your special one? I Karen? think in some ways uh, it is because... I somewhat naively thought, oh, well, I'm going to add this uh, this time, and it won't take me too long. I thought, there I was after about three months of research, still working so hard to figure this out because 
what I didn't, what I knew was that all of us who love wine here, you know, oh, wine, wine started here, it started in Israel. No, it started in Georgia. It started in Azerbaijan, it's wherever. And it's, and you hear people say, oh, 4,000 years ago, 6,000 years ago. And I thought, okay, I have to get this straight. I want to really understand where wine began, why it began, and when it began. So I began researching. The first thing I realized is, ah, archaeologists and archaeobiologists and anthropologists about time in the same way between them. Some people are saying, you know, uh, 5,000 BC. Some people are saying 7,000 years ago. Some people are saying during the Iron Age. So I had to actually make myself a chart, hand-drawn chart of how to get every bit of time equal. And then I realized, oh no, those, those periods, like the Neolithic period, which is really sure. important to wine, is not the same everywhere. It's a different time, the Neolithic in China, than it is in the Near East of, of Europe. So now I was like, oh, this is, uh, anyway, it, it took me a really long time uh, to sort this all out, to get it right. And, and now I've heard from a lot of people, this is the single best explanation of wine in the ancient world they've ever read. Yeah, because you have to, make a definitive decision and say, okay, this is what we are going to consider uh, for our ancient times. And yes. that's based on, it's very similar. The book that I'm, I'm, I'm involved in talks about the different generations, you know, the boomers, the X, the millennials. Do you think there's a set time yeah. frame that everybody agrees to? No, absolutely the same situation. <laughs> that would make it too easy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, You've covered so many countries in, in your book, um, Karen, and I I would like to say that when you've covered them, you've really given them more than adequate exposure. It's not the sort of perfunctory, here's a few pages, um, you know, with a few deathly dull, boring facts. You've really been incisive, but not every country has been involved and there, and obviously you can't, but Countries like Romania, Bulgaria, Moldova, th they weren't covered. Was there a reason or uh, is this something we can look forward to in your fourth edition? Yeah. Um, yes, those are big wine producing countries, Romania, Bulgaria and Moldova. Um, there are two reasons why I didn't cover them. Mm -hmm. One is that outside of Europe, it's very hard to find those wines. True. Um, in the States here, we don't see them at all, uh, which I'm, I'm sure there are some fine wines being made, but we don't see any of those, those wines. Um, and then the second reason is, you know, you, a book cannot be more than about, uh, even at 900 pages, it's, um, you're starting to get to the point where it can't be bound well. You have to split it into two volumes. Right. And I did not want to uh, do a book that had to be in two volumes 
because that lowers sales and it lowers sales because think of it yourself, right? The wine Bible, you can throw in your suitcase and take with you to Europe yep. if you want. Absolutely. Um, you can throw it in your trunk when you go to the store. Yeah. Um, but if it were in two volumes. Yeah, two volumes mean, might be somewhat uh, cumbersome. Yeah. Yeah. So I had to leave something out. So sorry, Romania, Bulgaria and Moldova. Maybe next time. Maybe for the fourth edition. Maybe. Fantastic. Now, you know, you mentioned when you first wrote the book 20 years ago, there wasn't much competition. And although, you know, I think you are sort of pushing the point that there is competition, but honestly, Karen, I don't think there's competition for your book. But having mm -hmm. said that, do you feel wine writers hold power in the wine courts of the world, as it were? Yes, I do. But it's a very uh, unusual time that we live in. Mm -hmm. Because I think we see the waning influence of critics. Critics are no longer as important as they once were. Um, we see the rise of influencers, which is both good and bad. In, in one way, it um, you know, it creates a, a whirlwind of energy around wine. On the other hand, there has to be uh, more to wanting to encourage people about wine than just, um, you know, I don't know, sitting in a skimpy bikini on a yacht and, say, and saying that you're drinking XYZ wine. Um, so it's a very unusual time for writers. Writers are also paid less today than they ever used to be before, at least in the States and in Great Britain. Um, but still, everywhere I go, uh, I when I talk to producers, they are really thankful that someone is, is in a sense, hearing them, taking yes. what they do very seriously and fact-checking very seriously. I, I recently did a piece for WineSpeed, my digital newsletter, and I, I called this restaurant probably, an email of this restaurant probably seven times after being there, taking notes. And the general manager said, I have never seen a journalist fact-check like this. They, they just write what they want. And I thought, well, they shouldn't have, right? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I, I, I would tend to agree with you that um, there are many critics out there and the saying, the emphasis, there are wine critics and there are the influencers and it depends which one you follow. That's true. Yes. And talking about that, Karen, as writers, we do influence our readers and wine is certainly no exception. Is there a responsibility writers ought to be more aware of, you think? Like, do you think there's a sort of social crusade that there's an angle to that? Yeah, well, one of the parts of writing that I think is wine writing that mm -hmm. I think is mm -hmm. unfortunate mm -hmm. is that some amount of wine writing comes off as Lucky me, I was there drinking Domaine de la Romani Conti. Too bad you weren't there. You know, it has that attitude. Um, uh, yes. 
which which is very off-putting. Uh, and I wish that wine writing did not have that kind of tone as it sometimes does. Um, the other thing that I think that I, I promised myself early on I would never do is to be internally referential, which by which I mean, you know, when you say to someone that this uh, gigandas yes. reminds you of this 1982 Bordeaux, that's right. inconceivable, by the way, but anyway, yeah, but you yeah. leave people out, right? Because someone's like, well, I, I don't know anything about Gigondas Precisely. and I don't know anything. Of, I've never tasted 1982 Bordeaux. So, but the wine world does that a lot. It's a way of keeping people out of saying, I'm lucky. I'm on the inside. I got to taste these great things too bad for you. And I do not ever write that way because I, I find it um, wrong, offensive. It shouldn't be that way. Yeah. You know, I, I clearly believe that we are, are rowing in the same direction and in the <laughs> same boat, Karen, because, you know, with with the book that I'm writing and also with, uh, you know, the on, on our social media, we always love to promote civility. There has to be, with wine and spirits, a sense of etiquette, courtesy, kindness to others, which is of paramount importance. The wine, honestly, it's secondary. It's the human mm -hmm. touch and feel. And reading your book, I really get that warmth that sort of emanates. It glows. It's radiating out. And, mm -hmm. and I know that for new readers, this is a real triumph of a book and and it, it's a really must do must must have book and um how do our audience find your book karen yes well um you know i just came back from giving a speech in singapore and um uh amazingly enough the wine bible is already there oh, um, yes. and it, and it only came out, um, I guess, about three weeks now, three weeks ago. Um, so you can buy it on Amazon. Okay. If you want a signed copy, you can buy it from our website, which is karenmcneil.com. There's right. a little, little tab there that uh, will allow you to buy the Wine Bible from us. Um, and then in any place where there are big bookstores of course you can buy it in all the big bookstores well i'll have to get my signed copy then from you karen and um it's it's honestly a real pleasure and a privilege to be able to share with you uh this time in your life where you have produced this masterpiece which i think is essential on the shelves of anyone out there who is involved in wine, whether you're an importer, exporter, Somalia, aspiring student, this is the book that you should be having. And um, as for me, I'm looking forward to turning that next page over. Karen, thank you so very much. And congratulations once again, and wish you many, many um, more success um, in the weeks and days ahead. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you, Dr. Lee. Always a pleasure to, to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you, Karen.
You've been listening to Wine Buzz Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave a review or share it with a friend. Apwazi is an online wine and spirit institution dedicated to promoting culture and diversity through the world of education. If you're looking to get started, we have a free online course that we are giving out to all our listeners. For more information, head to apwazi.com. That's A-P-W-A-S-I.com.